It's the True Achievements Podcast. This month, Rich is busy coding our sister site, True Trophies, so the inmates are running the asylum. We get just crazy enough to talk about the biggest news. Microsoft opens its arms to indie developers, but how big of a hug are they really getting? Dog of Thunder joins us for his business corner. Which companies are in the penthouse, and which ones are in the doghouse? Irrational gets crazy with Bioshock Infinite DLC, and Warner Brothers wants you to bring some friends into Arkham Origins. Jay, hey that's me, takes on this month's achievement challenge, and we open up the mailbag and give away a fabulous prize. All that and more in this edition of the True Achievements Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the True Achievements Podcast for August. Uh, it's Dog Days of Summer Part 2, this time featuring 100% more dog. Yeah. So, I am your podcast host, Jay, otherwise known as OSU Blue Jacket. I am the editorial manager for the site. And as I mentioned, we have 100% more dog in this podcast because we have your favorite, my favorite, the favorite in your heart, Dog of Thunder. Hi, I'm Dog of Thunder. I'm TA Newshound. I'm also the TA Charity Events Director. Or manager. And we'll be talking more about charity events, because uh, they are going to start kicking up into gear uh, this month, so we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And we also have Michelle. Go ahead and say hello, yes. Michelle. Yes, hi, I'm Michelle, or Matriarch on the site, um, the Newshounds manager. Yes, so it's August. Um, you can almost see the end of the rainbow, where glorious new games start to come in. But we do have some news to talk about between then and now. Uh, but we'll start off with our quick little segment on what you're playing. So, ladies first, Michelle, what you playing? Um, I have been playing uh, games for Gamerscore, shock and awe. Um, I've largely actually played Connect Sesame Street and Connect Nat Geo. Um, I actually, through a very fortunate turn of events, um, one of my good buddies on TA, uh, Boots Orion, came down to New York City. Um, and he hung out with Elle and I, and we just banged out all the season two stuff. It's a lot nicer when one person can spend the $30 or the three of us can chip in for season two and get the completion. Um, so we worked on that and it was actually a lot of fun. And the great shame of it is those are actually really fun games for their target audiences. And, um, I've played it with my niece a little bit and I hope that finishing it doesn't discourage me from encouraging her to play it. Um, other than that, still working on Army of Two. That's been a slow process, but it's going well. Um, and I started, um, Brothers, which is one of the summer of arcade games that's coming out. Uh, not going to say too much about that now, uh, but you can look for a review of that on the website shortly. Yeah, there's this lovely little thing called embargoes. If you didn't, yeah. I mean, if you don't know what an embargo is and you're listening right now, it's basically something, uh, game outlets and reviewers agree to and, and sign saying, we're not going to talk about this game until this date in exchange for you giving it to us early so we can play it and have a review ready. So Michelle is embargoed and can't talk about Brothers, but rest assured we will have a review as soon as it's possible. Uh, Dog, what are you playing right now? Something five years old? No, actually, but I have not fired up my Xbox 360 in like a month. Sacrilege. Um, I've been playing <laughs> Batman Arkham City, the Games for Windows Live version. On my PC. Now, I played that uh, on my 360, uh, obviously. I really enjoyed it. How do, how well does it control 
uh, on mouse and keyboard? Um, it controls... Mm. Up until yesterday, I had no problems. I really liked using the mouse and keyboard because the combat's all timing-based. You don't need too much precision. So it's it, it's pretty easy with the keyboard. But yesterday I did a marathon session, and uh, by the end of my six hours straight playing it, my right arm was just killing me from clicking the mouse <laughs> and trying to make it through the combat challenges. It was um, an unforeseen side effect, I'll put it that way. But other than that, playing it on the PC has, was a lot of fun. The graphics are really nice. And um, they changed some of the achievements around between the PC and the console version. The PC version actually has six less achievements. Really? Oh, interesting. What uh-huh. did they cut out? Uh, well, one of the ones that they cut out, and I'm so grateful for it, was Catch. We have to oh, throw yeah. the control battery yeah. and then catch it. I remember that one. So, Dog, you've played the game on the Xbox 360 as well? Uh, one of my friends had it, and so I did what I do with all my games I have cross-platform. Set it up on the 360, set it up on my Alienware side-by-side, see which one looks better. The PC version looks better. The console version controls better. So you could solve that by using a Microsoft controller on the PC um, and kill two birds with one stone with that. But thankfully, the achievements stack between the two different versions. So I'm probably going to play this game again on the 360. Nice. Just because the achievements stack and it's a lot of fun. It's one of those games with really grindy achievements, but that doesn't really matter because the game is just so much fun to go through. Yeah, I know um, I didn't complete that game, but I put a lot of time into it. And by the time I was quote-unquote done with it, I was like, yep, I'm I'm good. I'm not going to go back for more. Uh, because it did have a lot of grindy stuff. I think I, I'm pretty sure I found all of the Riddler trophies. I think that was the Riddler trophies and the Catwoman trophies. I think that was kind of like the straw that broke my back. I got all of those, and then I was like, yeah, I think I'm good now. Yeah, I, I'm working on that now. I just broke 24 hours played yesterday, so. And my wow. progress, it has me listed as being at like 62% complete of the game. Yeah, I've been uh, turning it on once a month to do Calendar Man. Um, but, you know, I played it and actually completed it, you know, last year or whenever it was. and Or not completed for achievements, but finished the campaign. And it really is, it's brilliant. Just such a good game beginning to end. And even the, over the credits, a lot of people don't watch game credits anymore, I guess, because they're like, movie credits are really long and you hit the button and skip them. But there's just, there's a really cool segment that happens over the credits. And I get so frustrated when I talk to people and like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't remember this, but I, I might have to go and check and see if I actually saw it. Oh, I finished it late at night one night, and I let the credits run through just because I was tired. Oh. <laughs> and then that segment started, and at 2 a.m. in the morning, that was the weirdest thing. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine how that must have played, but it, it's awesome, right? It's it's like a nice little end cap on the game that they sort of hid in the end credits for you. And I, I think it was great. The other thing I loved about it is I'm currently going back through Batman the Animated Series. Yes. Okay. I've been reading up the reviews on the avclub.com about it and watching old episodes. 
and going from the animated series to Arkham City, oh, it's like all sorts of fan service in that yeah. game. <laughs> I it's like they they even stuck in the creeper because Jack Ryder is the news reporter in Arkham City. It, it, it's brilliant because no one else but me even knows who the creeper is. So yeah, I I grew up on a little fan service they hit. I grew up on the animated series, so I still every once in a while I'll catch a rerun of it and just remember mm-hmm. being a teenager or preteen. I can't remember how old I was when I started watching it, but it has a fond place in my heart. Um, well, and we'll we'll talk a little more actually about the upcoming Batman yes. a little later in the podcast. Yeah. Um, but you wonder how this new development studio is if they're going to have the same depth of knowledge because clearly the guys that were developing the game they just they're all big fanboys of this stuff and it comes through in their work. Right. So, um, but we'll we'll hit that a little later on, I think. Yeah. Uh, are you playing anything else, dog, or is that that the whole enchilada? Uh, I did that. I played some Gears of War two with my wife, and we played some Minecraft. And other than that, that's been it. Cool. I'm jealous. I'm jealous that your wife can can stomach Gears of War. My wife is not a fan of seeing violence and carnage on screen. She loves um, the Lancer. And that's why it's number five in your TA Top 5, right? <laughs> it's number five because, man, that weapon gets old after a while. Okay. Um, things I've been playing, I uh, completed The Witcher 2, got all the achievements, I beat it on the Dark Difficulty, which um, one thing I noticed is when I played through The Witcher the first time, or The Witcher 2 the first time, I played it on like the normal setting, whatever, and during the first couple hours I was dying a lot, and then as I got further along I barely died at all. And almost the exact same thing happened playing on dark mode. So it, I, I would encourage if you're looking to do, um, I don't think that is a game you can pl- you can complete with just one playthrough. So you do have to do two playthroughs to get all the achievements. Uh, but don't be scared to take on dark mode if that's like something you're hesitant about. It, it actually wasn't that bad once I actually got into it. So it's a very rewarding game. I enjoyed that game a lot. And I'm very much looking forward to The Witcher 3, which... That may be my prime impetus to getting an Xbox One earlier rather than later, is to play The Witcher 3. Um, I started and finished Prey. Uh, I, I bought it with the big um, Ultimate Games on Demand sale. I think I got it for 3 bucks, And man, that game has not aged well. It, it's, it's interesting in that it's almost like a trip-down game development memory lane. It, it feels like a weird combination between like old doom and old duke nukem which makes sense because 3d realms had a hand in it uh but it's the graphics are okay when you're actually playing it but anytime you're looking like faces or cutscenes, it just looks like an xbox original xbox game um and then the, the kind of the worst part is uh the achievements are all story based so you get an achievement for beating every level of which there are many and then there's an achievement for beating the game on Cherokee difficulty, which you can't even start until you pl- beat it on a normal difficulty. And then tons of multiplayer achievements. And I literally sat in the lobby of the multiplayer for almost an hour and didn't see one other person. So, yeah, is I got $3 worth of entertainment out of it. It was definitely an interesting trip, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Have have either of you two played Prey? I know, Dog, you, you commented on my thread when you saw I started playing it. Yes, because I started Prey back when I was trying to, you know, play games for gamer score and bring up my completion percentage and stuff. Um, yeah, that, that phase is over now. 
But that's when I was playing Prey, and that's the mindset I was in. And even then, I got bored of the game about halfway through. Yeah, I, I'm um, pretty much the same way. The story was the story was actually interesting. I wish it were better developed. Um, I thought the story was really cool because it was really dark. Yeah. And I did not expect that going in. Really dark story. The alien ship setup was interesting, but really confusing. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Prey, it actually has this play on gravity where you can walk on these magnetized walkways that take you up walls and over ceilings. And then there's these gravity um, switches which can reverse gravity or change gravity all the way around. So th there are a lot of really, really interesting ideas uh, in the game. And I can see why people got excited about the sequel, uh, a sequel being bandied about. And is it alive? Is it not alive? We don't know. But Bethesda is in charge of whatever Prey 2 might become. And I actually think I read a rumor that they were shifting it over to Arcane Studios, who did Dishonored, but that's neither here nor there. That could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I hope they come back to that IP, because it was interesting. Uh, and But the game, it came out in 2006, and it it's definitely not aged well. So that that's my ringing endorsement of Prey. Um other things that I did, I worked on my achievement challenge. I stepped up to the plate for that. And then uh, I started playing the Clash in the Clouds DLC for Bioshock Infinite, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But a uh, short version is I I'm really enjoying it, um, which really shouldn't be a surprise if you know me at all. So uh, now that I've ranted and rambled for about five straight minutes, uh, let's get into the news. Uh, probably the biggest news of the month was that Microsoft has decided to allow self-publishing on the Xbox One. And when we opened the mailbag, this was a popular topic. We had actually had two mailbag questions come in on this. Well, they're not the questions of the month, but we are going to take a moment to kind of read them and incorporate them into this discussion. So uh, Skanker IRL asked, in light of the couple of recent changes Microsoft has made to allow indie developers more freedom and less out-of-pocket costs, do you foresee indie gaming and the creation of indie games becoming a significant part of the Xbox One? Will these indie games be reported on by TA? Will there be additional section or page of the website? Are there plans or changes for how those games are covered on site? So we'll, we'll get to that question here in a second, but we're going to throw in this other question on top so we can just have a big discussion about uh, self-publishing. The second question comes from Marcus Chief 117 who asked, Do you think gamers and developers should be happy that Microsoft has reversed its detest debatably harsh stance on self-publishing by allowing it and moving on, or do you think they are right in questioning the motives behind them, allowing self-publishing however cynical and speculatory these reasons may be? So, um, Dog, I know I'd like you to jump in here because I know there's been a lot of confusion on exactly what the definition of indie is and what the definition of self-publishing is. So why don't we turn it over to you here for a minute so you can actually talk about that for a second before we kind of jump in on these questions. All right, well, before we discuss the, this new policy of Microsoft's, we need to talk about their old policy first, just to provide some perspective. Um, for this past generation, Microsoft was the only company that did not allow self-publishing. They required everyone that wanted to create a game for the Xbox Live Arcade to sign on with a publisher. If you did not have a publisher and you wanted to get your game out there, they shoved you aside in the indie store. And indie games in the indie store there, 
Microsoft capped how much you could charge for your game, um, how much of the resources of the 360 you could use. You could not use the Kinect. You were limited on the amount of RAM and processing power that you could access of your game. You also could not use achievements. Um, that was just a complete no-go. Achievements were reserved for Xbox Live arcade games. Um, Connect usage reserved for Xbox Live arcade games. And so in order to get onto the Xbox Live Arcade, no matter what experience you have publishing your own games, you had to sign on with a big-time publisher or Microsoft Studios themselves to publish your game. If you signed on with Microsoft Studios, you had to make your game exclusive to the Xbox 360 for a certain amount of time. Um, this is why you'll see games like Bastion which was released for Xbox Live Arcade during the summer of Arcade, come out on the 360, and then a year later pop up on every other platform known to man. It's because Microsoft forces that um, exclusive deal if you want to be on their platform. The other thing Microsoft did was, infamously, they would charge developers for patches. They would charge developers for dev kits. They would charge an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, they also forced avatar items on Xbox Live Arcade games. If you want to be published, you had to have avatar items included. And you could not develop these avatar items yourself unless you had a proven track record with Microsoft. Otherwise, they suggested and I'm making air quotes around the term suggested, um, different developers that you could go to to make the items for you, all of which cost money. Publishing on the Xbox 360 was very, very expensive. So, with this recent policy change, most of that has gone away. Hooray! Microsoft has made it a lot cheaper. They've taken away most of those bottlenecks and most of those requirements, so people don't have to worry about them. Now, if you're a, a one-guy team, like the um, developer of Retro City Rampage or the developer of Dust in Elysian Tale, if you're like a one-person team like that, you can simply put your game on Xbox Live by yourself. You don't need to sign on with a Sega or an EA to get it on there. That saves you 30% of your profits right there, because that's the average cost to get your game published. It was 30%. That right there will make the platform look a lot more financially viable for these smaller companies. The other thing that Microsoft is doing is they're releasing uh, free Unity developer kits for everyone that signs on to make a game for the Xbox One within the next year. That's a, a very nice olive branch from Microsoft. It's um, still not as good as some other companies, but it's progress for Microsoft, and that should be celebrated. They're learning how to deal with smaller developers. And I don't want to sound condescending, but for Microsoft, that's a really big deal. These are very positive steps for them. And it's only good news. That's a great thing about this policy change. It's only good. Um, the only bad side to it is we don't know all the specific details just yet. There's going to be a hidden cost 
somewhere. There's going to be something included to keep the big publishers happy. Because if self-publishing is a little too good and a little too easy, there's no reason for anyone to go through a big publisher ever again. And these big publishers really need the digital games in order to hit their bottom line targets. We'll talk about that later during the business corner. But Microsoft will make something to make it a little bit easier for the big publishers. Um, maybe prioritized release dates, maybe extra discounts available. Who knows? But for now, with this new policy, indie developers can release games that use a connect. They can release games with achievements. They can release games and not be shuffled aside into a second-rate store that has no discoverability to it. Microsoft has fixed all of those problems, so good yeah, for that. That's, I mean, obviously self-publishing is a good thing for smaller developers and single-party developers. Uh, kind of the uh, Mark Witten basically came out and said they're going to be revealing more uh, at Gamescom in August, and we will have people there, so hopefully we'll have uh, access to Mark and be able to get some comments, but no promises. We'll try. Um, and kind of uh, trying to come back to uh, the questions we got asked, uh, I think uh, Matt Marcus Chiefs is kind of the most pointed one in should we be happy about this or should we be a little bit cynical or cynical, skeptical and speculatory on why they're doing it? And I think the the reason why they're doing it is something you alluded to, dog. They need digital releases and they need these smaller games to make their platforms oh. viable. It, it's just yeah, there's, um, uh, think back to the last couple summers of Arcade, the last two. In fact, last year's was pretty publicly commented on TA as being a very weak lineup. Xbox Live Arcade, as a digital platform for games, um, has already hit its peak. It's been on the way down for the past two years. Sales numbers for Xbox Live Arcade games have not been as good as they were three, four years ago when it was incredible and we had million sellers released every year. This year, the only big Xbox Live Arcade hit we've had has been State of Decay. That's the only big hit we've had sales-wise. Most of the sales on Xbox Live Arcade have been people still buying Minecraft, people still buying Castle Crashers, older games. All the new, hot, digital games have been going to other platforms. That is something I've noticed, too, in that I'll hear a lot of buzz about uh, a game that Xbox can't have, like Journey, for example. I would love to play Journey. It was getting all kinds of crazy buzz, but it went to PlayStation. So I guess here's hoping that this change in policy will kind of even the playing field a little bit, or at least keep Microsoft competitive so we can, can play some of these games, uh, because, frankly... I'd love to see that happen. Um, yeah, Microsoft, one of the policies that they did not mention getting rid of, and I hope they do, is that exclusive deal that they require. Um, it, it goes both ways, this exclusive deal. If you publish on their platform, it has to be exclusive for a certain number of months. But if you published your game on a different platform, you cannot port it over to the Xbox Live Arcade. 
Microsoft will say no because they want their system to have exclusives, which is why we'll never see Journey, we'll never see Hotline Miami, we'll never see Machinarium, we'll never see. Well, if you look at the other side, I, I think PlayStation or Sony has a similar policy about exclusivity too, or at least, I mean. I'm trying to think. Games like uh, game developers like that game company, they've only ever made downloadable titles for Sony. Right, which is actually a personal choice. Um, because Sony requires a certain amount of exclusive, you know, exclusivity. But if you publish on a previous platform, they don't care. Hmm. They'll still take your game. Well, didn't... Didn't the first Joe Danger come out on the PlayStation first and then come to Microsoft? So it's not that that never happens. Um, And Hello Games has been very vocal about the fact that they prefer the PlayStation. They prefer the policies. Um, And that's where we're going to see a lot of changes coming is now these policies are much friendlier. And I don't know what Sony does because I think the question that you're raising is where is Microsoft's benefit now? The reason they do this is because they get the benefit of it. They get the benefit of the buzz and all the sales related to that. Um, they lose all that. So, so what's the hook? What has Sony been doing to keep that hook? Is it just the fact that they've been more lenient about their policies? Because if that's the case and both of them are lenient, the, these companies are just going to go to the people with the most yeah. potential well, it, buyers. It, it, it also think. has to do with, don't forget, Nintendo. Nintendo has also been open with self-publishing, and the Nintendo WiiWare store has led to a number of hits. Sure, at a lower level, but their barrier of entry is significantly less, so it's easier to turn a profit. I'll use Retro City Rampage as an example because um, the developer for this game went on record with how many copies he sold on each platform and what his profit was on each platform. I won't give you the exact numbers, but Retro City Rampage for Xbox 360 was basically a gift to 360 gamers. He made very little money off of that compared to these other platforms because of all of the cost that Microsoft had in developing games. But can't you argue that there's something to be said about, you know, no such thing as bad publicity? Like, I'm not big on indie games or digital download. Like, I just, I'm not a Steam user. I don't play with any of that stuff. I hear about these games because, for better or worse, what they're going through with Microsoft. My curiosity gets piqued because of that. So sure, it's a gift, but now that game is in my consciousness. I'm thinking about it. I'm curious about it. So it's not a good reason for it to be there, but if if this was really such a struggle for them, they wouldn't put it there. There are companies like that game company that just say, no, we don't want to work with Microsoft and we're not going to. It's not worth it. So this is, you know, I know... Microsoft sort of painted as a demon by a lot of these smaller publishers, and they deserve a lot of it. Um, but they're getting something from it, too. And there are smaller studios like Twisted Pixel who, you know, they rave about their experiences and what they went through and, and all that. So I, I'm not I'm not really sure where this differential happens that we get this sort of split. But it wasn't all bad for them because people talked about their game. And, and people that like these smaller developers, they went, well, you know, this was a bad experience for them. I'm going to support them on Steam because they made a great game and they're not getting the support there. So it's not in a good way, but it helps them to have that publicity from their experience with Microsoft. Well, the, the difference is and why some of these developers have different experiences is because, don't forget, Microsoft is a very large corporation. Apparently, behind the scenes, there's been a number of changes 
um, with the how Xbox Live was handled, and they've had different portfolio managers there. Um, when Twisted Pixel got on in about 2007, 2008, someone else was in charge that had already been ousted by the time you had the Brian Provincianos and Phil Fishes of the world trying to get their games on there. You had someone else in charge with different policies. The behind-the-scenes policies of what they can offer in a contract and what they can offer regarding like dashboard promotions has changed. And it will change again when you get someone else in charge. It, it, it depends on, on what's going on behind the scenes. And we as gamers don't know that sort of thing. And we don't really have to know that sort of thing. All we care about is, this game is awesome. Can I play it? Right. I just I just know, again, there was like a dust-up between, I think, Zen Studios and Team Meat, the Super Meat Boy people and the Pinball Effects people about the support they were getting and, um, you know, with one defending and one not defending. Uh, so there, there's a lot of the, – the point we're getting to, to here now is none of this matters anymore. The policies no. have all been thrown out the window, and that's yeah. great. Um, yeah. like, we just need more information about the new policies because – it, it, there's there's going to be a catch. Right, oh, absolutely. The other, thing, the other thing I didn't talk about at all, and I'm kind of kicking myself now, in, in, with this new policy, Mark Witten also announced that every Xbox One can be used as a dev kit. You, they, they don't have to buy a separate dev kit, which can typically cost about $10,000. Instead, an off-the-box, an off-the-shelf Xbox One can be used as a dev kit. That's a big deal. It, it doesn't it doesn't mean what some of the people on TA commenting on the story where we talked about this think it means. You can't develop a game just using your Xbox One. Right. All a dev kit is is it provides a test environment for your game. It gives you access to a debug mode so that you can go and make sure your game works on the system. Make sure you're hitting all the spec requirements. Make sure you're getting the performance that you want out of it. You're still going to need something like the Unity software or some other piece of game developing software on a PC to actually make a game. But just the Xbox One being usable as a dev kit, that's another big step. I think the the be-all, end-all of this whole discussion is Microsoft's finally falling in line with the Sony model and the Nintendo model insofar as creating many fewer barriers to entry. And that's only good for us as gamers. We'll see more. We'll get more options. It's great for developers. And you hope that Microsoft's former policies haven't soured the relationship so much that they won't come back to this. Because there is a potential. That yeah, that, that's the unfortunate side effect of this new policy change is that a lot of existing established indie developers in these smaller studios have been soured. But you know what I say to that? I say to that, money talks. Right. If there's potential for those studios to make money, they'll come back. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Once the install base is there on the Xbox One, you're going to see a lot of these people developing games for the Xbox One. Once the install base is there and once they can get their money. Well, I don't know the numbers exactly you were referring to earlier, Dog, with um, with Retro City Rampage. But do yeah. those numbers come more in line with the other platforms when you remove all the publishing costs? Is it no longer a gift and is it right at the wire? Is it still lower? Is it a higher no. benefit? So 
you know, I, I don't know where those fall, but they'll yeah. see better. It, it doesn't it doesn't come in line, and um, a lot of games, um, smaller games published on the um, for Xbox Live Arcade, don't come in line because of other policies of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. The way they've reconfigured the dashboard to make yes. it harder to find games in the first place. The way that your average user, don't forget, if you're listening to a TA podcast, you are not. An average user of the Xbox 360, you're a hardcore gamer, and most of this is going to be common sense for you. But if you're an average person that only buys a few games a year and they fire up the 360, if a game is not advertised in one of those squares, one of those tiles on the dashboard, they're not going to know about it. Right. They're not going to go searching for it. Absolutely. So if you don't get that sort of front page advertising, your game could be dead in the water. Right. Also, Microsoft did not allow them to release games when they wanted to. Microsoft uses a slot system, and they give out a certain number of slots each year to the big developer, big publishers. So you have no control over when your game will be released. You might be released the same week that, say, Trials Evolution is coming out, and your game is going to lose. Which will hurt your bottom lines, because in digital games, most of your sales come during that first week. Absolutely. So, unless Microsoft can change the way that they advertise their games, they they will always be a little bit behind some of these other um, platforms which have a more upfront method of advertising games. Like uh, Nintendo will go in and pull out some WiiWare games to advertise each week. Sony will do the same thing on their store. They might take an older game and all of a sudden it's a big critical or commercial hit. They'll move it to the front page and start advertising it and publicizing it on the PlayStation blog. They're a little more proactive when it comes to advertising. This... Microsoft hasn't said anything about advertising, so all these developers are still kind of waiting to see what they're going to do to solve that discoverability problem. It's not just a Microsoft thing. Steam has this problem as well. Um, Apple with the App Store, discoverability issues. It's not unique to Microsoft. And, and if you really want like a good perspective into this, I, I can't recommend Indie Game the Movie highly enough. Um, it'll really take you behind the scenes, especially with like Team Meat, who made Super Meat Boy, their process of, like, getting it on the arcade, having trouble finding it, freaking out about it. Uh, it's a really just fantastic movie. So it, I know it was streamable on Netflix. For, or that's how I saw it. So um, if you really want to get more in-depth into this indie scene, um, the movie's a couple of years old now, and all the games that they talked about are out, and you can play all of them. Um, but definitely check that out, because uh, it's definitely an interesting scene, and it's an interesting mindset. So... We're going to cap our talk on indie there. We can definitely come back to it uh, in future podcasts. But we're going to move on to another Xbox One story uh, where the reputation system ha- has been kind of revealed a little bit and given some more details. So uh, basically what's happening is they're taking the Xbox 360 system of giving feedback and they're kind of amping it up a little bit. So it's going to take into account more factors like muting or blocking communications from certain gamers and then player reputation is going to fall into three color-coded categories. You're going to have green, yellow, and red. And as I was reading this, I'm like, this is just like kindergarten. 
where green means you're a good player, yellow means you need improvement, and red means to avoid me. Uh, there's also going to be a system where they will be able to calculate feedback that you don't deserve. So players who are in the red reporting a green player may it won't carry a whole lot of weight. So obviously details are a little uh, fuzzy at this time, and they'll become more clear as we get closer to the launch of the Xbox One. Um, but we also had some questions in the mailbag thread about this system. Uh, Parallax Demon asked a question, what do you guys and girls think of this new feedback system Microsoft wants to implement? Uh, as a gamer who's always in party chat or not using a mic, it still amazes me that I, apparently I trash talked for over 20% according to my bad feedback. Uh, can the new feedback system work or will it get abused to get people you don't want to play with for other reasons of them being feminine hygiene products? Um, and getting a red label. So, Michelle, I know you had some some thoughts on this. Why don't you go ahead and jump in here? Um, I mean, I think in the end, the feedback is still essentially going to be the same as it is today. If you really think about how you use feedback, I know how I've used it. It's almost never been to report somebody who's actually done something wrong. It's, I can't match up with my friends in ranked play, and I'm hoping by saying that you're not a good player, I'll match up with you better. And I don't do it very frequently. I know I look at my own feedback recently, and it's something like 10% of it is bad, and of that 10%, 50% is trash-talking. I'm not a trash talker. I, it's just not something I do. Um, so that's definitely not the case. It's people doing the same thing to me. I'm getting into their games and not matching up, you know, breaking up their matches or whatever. Uh, so I think we're going to see the same kind of thing. It's a really nice idea in principle. And as uh, we said earlier, TA users are not typical uh, gamers, so I don't know how it exists in the typical sphere, but I play with my friends. I, I don't really look at other people's reputations on Xbox Live because I don't care that much. I'm always going to play with the same group of people. So it's it's an interesting idea. I don't think it's a solvable problem. I think people are always going to slip through the cracks or whatever else. I think penalizing someone because they don't use a mic or, or stay on mute is unfair, but um, you know, if you're looking for someone who talks and that's considered a good player, then that could be helpful, but I, th I think it's all nice ideas, but it doesn't really have any effect on anything, and as with many things about the one, we still just don't know a lot, so it's really hard to comment any further on it. Yeah, I just, I, I always wish I could get some sort of an age filter, like if you are under the age of like 18, I don't want to hear your party chat at all. I, I just always found that the most annoying people to me are the the kids who are screaming at their moms, and singing and oh god it drives me nuts well, so they did say that age is one of the factors that's considered in your reputation for this new system so but how much it's weighted i don't know and is it going to be something where you can say age is a big factor for you so that's worth you know 50 percent of the overall impact on matching for you like the smart match is a neat idea again but we still we just there's a lot we don't know and we're not going to know until the system launches later this year yeah so, hey, Doug, I know you, you don't play a whole lot of multiplayer, but what are your thoughts on feedback systems here? I hope Microsoft can solve the problem and make it so that we have to deal with less annoying people online. Uh, their old feedback system was horribly flawed. As Michelle pointed out, it didn't really work. People used it for other purposes. This one, I don't know. We'll see. It's just such a tough problem to try and solve. I credit Microsoft for taking steps to try and solve it. I hope it works out. It's not going to. People suck. Yeah, I'm, I, I will generally agree with that. So 
Um, speaking of things that suck, um, we uh, recently got some news uh, via IGN about price points for some new accessories for the Xbox One. So the news is that the Xbox One's wireless controller is going to cost you a cool $59.99 US. The adding in the play and charge kit, which I think most of us probably will, is going to bump that total up to $74.99 US. If you just want an extra charge kit, that's going to cost you $24.99. And lastly, the chat headset, which is not included in the box at this time, is priced at $24.99. Now, on the heels of that, um, Microsoft has also said that they will be making a headset adapter for the Xbox One. So if you really love your Xbox headset or have a fancy pair of you know Astros or anything like that, they will be making a, an adapter, so you can hang on to those. Uh, no price point has been released for this adapter, but I would bet that it's going to be pretty close to $24.99. Um, that's just my two cents on it there. Uh, and then the other bit of news to come out is um, that I just lost it. Oh, they increased the GPU clock speed from 800 megahertz to 853 blazing fast megahertz. Uh, now, Dog, I know you jumped around the tech world to learn a little bit more about the, what the difference between 800 to 853 is. Can you uh, enlighten us here real quick? Yeah, the last couple of days, ever since TA first reported on this story, I've been, well, not since TA first reported on the story, since it first appeared in our suggested news story forum, uh, it, got, it got me going because I'm like, what difference does this really make? Does this really matter? So, bounce around tech blogs, talking to actual game developers I happen to know about what difference this makes, and the consensus is that it does not matter. Um, your games will look a little tiny bit nicer, but the human eye will not be able to notice. Far more important is the amount of memory that a game can access. The megahertz don't really matter as much. If the game can only access, like, 4 gigs of memory on the console, that makes more of a difference than the megahertz. So this is a, it's a nice bullet point, and it sounds nice in a press release, saying, hey, we made the system faster. But the reality is, it really, it's not going to make a difference. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And y you know what I take away from this? Games will look good on new systems. They yeah. will. Awesome, awesome system will have awesome-looking games. Yeah. Uh, That's yep. Uh, and then I think none of us were surprised that all of these accessories uh, price points were a bit more expensive than what the 360s cost. That, that's not shocking to me in the least. Uh, Michelle, any thoughts there? I hear you trying to weigh in. No, it's. I agree. The price points are exactly where I expected they would be. Um, it's nice that they've announce some kind of converter. Uh, I agree that it's likely going to cost just about what the basic uh, headset is. So the thinking is those of you who invested in a nice headset will not have to invest in another nice headset. You can jump right in um, with the lesser cost. Uh, I don't use a nice headset, so I'm just going to get whatever the basic one is. Um, but it's, it's nice that they finally did that. It's another one of those things where you sit there and go, okay, you really should have done this out of the gate. Why are we playing this game again? 
But now we know something, it's confirmed, which is exciting. Anything we have about the Xbox One where we can say, yes, we know, that's always a positive. Um, as for the GPU boost, we actually were speaking about this amongst ourselves a little earlier. Uh, I imagine it's very much like frames per second. You know, um, the new Lord of the Rings movie was tracked at a really high speed and it wound up being a problem. Uh, it's sort of similar. It's just another number. The human eye doesn't perceive that much difference. If the number gets too high, we will eventually, and it may not actually be for our benefit. This is going to be imperceptible. It's just a nice number. It's something else for them to throw out to say, listen, how uh, we're making things better. I, but I think also it shows that nothing is set in stone, which has been another phrase we've said a lot about the Xbox One. Here we are, we're, what, two or three months away now from launch, and they're still changing things that seem like they should be pretty much solid by now. This, the system infrastructure should be set, the architecture should be done. So there's still a lot they can change and alter, which is both heartening and terrifying at the same time. Well, it, it's really not terrifying because, I mean, stuff like this, like how much of the system developers can use... They can change that after yeah. launch. Oh, yes. Just they by do. releasing mm -hmm. a new update for the system. Well, I'm just saying I mean, generally, insofar as how much more can and will change about this. We A lot has changed about the Xbox One since May 15th or whatever it was. So uh, it's we're, I can't wait for November so we just know everything. That would be nice. Well, <laughs> two years from now, it's going to be a completely different system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one last little bit of Xbox One news uh, before we move on to some more pressing uh, 360-related matters. is At Comic-Con, several developers and uh, Microsoft Creative Studios director took to the stage to talk a little bit more about Xbox One's uh, cloud computing and how that's going to be used. Uh, so kind of the interesting takeaway is that cloud computing isn't going away. It's still going to be available and accessible, even though the Xbox doesn't, Xbox one doesn't need to be quote unquote, always online. It's still something developers will be able to use. Um, I know kind of the story that came out of this afterwards was that Forza five is going to require an initial login to play the game, um, which kind of shows, you know, these Xbox one titles that have been in development for a really long time that have kind of planned with this cloud-based computing. They haven't been able to completely eliminate it. Um, which is really interesting, and it kind of shows how development studios are going to have to be agile in adjusting their development schemes as Microsoft continues to adjust what they're doing with the Xbox One. Uh, but do, do either of you two have any thoughts on kind of this uh, cloud-based computing sticking around, uh, even though the Xbox One doesn't always need to be online? I, I'm Personally, I'm happy to hear this, uh, because we did raise the question during the last podcast as to whether or not the cloud features that would be removed generally would affect game development. And what we're seeing is, no, game development can still exist with the cloud, and that's still available to developers. So all the exciting things that come with that, potentially, are still available. So that was my big takeaway. So I'm actually pretty happy with the news that we got out of this. I'm glad that the cloud is going to stick around, and I, I personally never thought the cloud computing aspect would go away. Um, I'm glad it's sticking around just because it helps make the consoles a bit different compared to the Wii U and the PlayStation 4. The Xbox One has cloud computing. That's one of its big selling points. Microsoft should actually emphasize that a little bit more because it does make the console unique. And as we go along and people get used to working with it, we can probably produce some really interesting things. Yeah. Speaking of producing interesting things, uh, kind of the news that jumped out to me this past week uh, is that Irrational pulled back the curtain on what they're going to be doing with DLC for Bioshock Infinite. And then they promptly released Clash in the Clouds, 
um, which is a wave-based arena challenge pack. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been playing a little bit of it, and it, it's really fun. Uh, basically, the way Clash in the Clouds works is you start off in this uh, Columbia Archaeological Society, where you can walk around and you have the ability to unlock concept art and behind-the-scenes videos and all that cool stuff. But then you also have access to these arenas where you start, I think the one I've been playing is kind of like, uh, it's got sky hooks, or not sky hooks, but skylines, and uh, a big zeppelin in it. And uh, basically you're zipping around and you start with increasingly difficult uh, enemy loads. So the first one you've got like just five regular soldiers that you have to take out. And then the next one jumps up to a little more difficult soldiers. And you work your way up to, you know, taking on the heavy hitters like the handyman, the uh, motorized patriot, and the siren. And then each of these waves has a, uh, an optional blue ribbon challenge attached to it. So on the map that I was playing, the first blue ribbon challenge was take out all the enemies by using only skyline strikes, which is really fun. And then there's one where defeat the entire wave without losing any health damage, so only taking damage with your shields. And they progress all the way up to ones like defeat each enemy with a different vigor, which is kind of ridiculous, but it adds a little bit of variety and Irrational said the point of releasing Clash in the Clouds was to show just how versatile uh, the combat for Infinite can be. I think a lot of people, myself included, praised uh, Infinite's story, and then the combat was just, you know, it's a way to get through the story. But the combat actually has turned out to be incredibly fun, so I'm really enjoying Clash in the Clouds. Uh, and then the announcement that most gamers were excited about was the reveal of Burial at Sea, which takes the characters of Booker and Elizabeth and puts them in Rapture before Rapture fell apart. And I am so incredibly excited about this. The announcement of Burial at Sea was what got me to buy the season pass. Uh, I was still going to play Clash in the Clouds. I thought that was going to be cool, but this announcement of Burial at Sea really put it over the top and I need to have everything they are making. So, uh, Dog, have you played Infinite yet at all? I know you said you played the original Bioshock. I played the original, haven't played Infinite. If it happened to show up at my doorstep just randomly one day, I will happily play the game. But as it is, as someone that hasn't played the game, that Clash in the Clouds DLC you talked about, um, it sounds like they added a Horde mode to it. A little I'm... bit. It is kind of like Horde mode. Um, I'd say that's probably the best comparison um, but it's not like after each wave, you go back to like a hub where you can change out your weapons, uh, you can buy upgrades, and you get rewards for passing each subsequent wave. So you get, you know, increases in your health or increases in your shield or new gear that modifies, you know, your powers and your loadouts. So it, it is it is kind of like Horde, but it does have its own unique little twist that separates it. Plus you're playing... Which is good, because at this point, if any game is going to add a Horde mode, they have to add a twist to it for me to be interested. Well, and the further twist is that this is still single-player DLC. It's not multiplayer, so you are playing by yourself, working only against yourself, which I find is really cool. I, I tend to be more of a solo gamer or a co-op hmm. gamer. So you're not playing yeah. with other people. You're playing by yourself against this wave of enemies, which is really neat. Um, Michelle, did, I, I don't think you've jumped into Infinite yet, have you? No, I haven't. All right, well, do that. <laughs> I'll just leave it leave it at that. So um, more Bioshock Infinite DLC is coming. There was no time frame released 
for Burial at Sea, but Clash in the Clouds is available now. And as soon as we get more information on Burial at Sea, we'll definitely be bringing that to you. Uh, in other DLC news, uh, we have confirmation that there is more Borderlands 2 DLC coming. Uh, I know, Michelle, you were much bigger into Borderlands. I know I was pretty big into it, uh, but the uh, packs they had released are the Ultimate Vault Hunter DLC, which is going to be $5. So by the time that DLC arrives, the change in currency will have happened. Uh, and then we're also going to get the TK Baja's Bloody Harvest. Uh, and those are going to release sometime later this year, as well as Ultimate Vault Hunter Upgrade Pack 2. So this just goes to show that Gearbox and 2K are continuing to support Borderlands 2 with more fresh DLC. Uh, Michelle, why don't you jump in here? I know we talked about possibility of more Borderlands 2 DLC last time. Right. Um, I mean, I just picked up Borderlands 2, actually, as part of the same sale you got Prey in. Um, right. So I haven't started it yet. Uh and I'll admit, it's a little overwhelming, actually. I totally appreciate and understand why Gearbox is doing this. First of all, they're supporting a great game, but also it's bottom line. They're making the majority of their profit off of DLC uh, for reasons that we've touched on before and how DLC works in the gaming economy. Uh, it's a little overwhelming. Like, I don't know what their plan is in terms of achievements or anything, but all that aside, I just bought the game and I did buy it at a good discount. But now I know I have a season pass worth of stuff to buy and possibly a second season pass worth of DLC to buy. So I'm actually getting at a point where all this DLC is like it's great and they definitely put a lot into it. This is not cheap DLC. It's not that they're putting it out there and, and you know, they're, it's just a cash and they're definitely passionate about it, making great content. But it's a little much. It's like a whole second game now. Yeah, I, I, I kind of take it from an opposite perspective that. Um, again, we make no bones about it. If you're listening to this podcast, if you use TA regularly, you are not the quote-unquote average gamer. But if you're an average gamer who just buys a couple of games a year and you bought Borderlands 2 and they're constantly supporting it with new stuff, that's got to be exciting. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's the same reason why the Call of Duty, the maps and all that, why that works. Because they have a lot of gamers where that's really the only game they buy every year. That's why that game lives on an annual cycle because that's what they do. Every winter they know they're going to get that game for the holidays. They will buy the maps throughout the year. And then, oh, look, we've just ran out of maps and here's the new game. So absolutely it's awesome for the gamer that plays that way. For for me with my 100 game backlog, it's like, oh, goodness, what am I going to get into when I do this? But I think it's great they're supporting the product as long as it's quality. And it doesn't seem to be cash and stuff. It seems to be great, really well-thought-out DLC that adds to the world of Borderlands and is exciting and entertaining to play. Yeah, I know once kind of, I know we've already got a hefty dose of this DLC, um, and I'll probably jump in and play some of that DLC eventually. Uh, I know I've mentioned before that I... Um, played a good portion of Borderlands and Borderlands 2 with two of my buddies. So at some point, I'm sure we're going to orbit back around and and uh, jump back into Pandora with our new characters or maybe even just create brand new characters just to play through the DLC. So I, I'm just excited when developers continue to support their games. That, that always just excites me. Uh, Dog, any thoughts on Borderlands 2 DLC before you jump into your big, big, big business corner? Releasing more DLC for Borderlands 2 simply means the Game of the Year edition, with all the DLC included, is going to come out later. That's what I was waiting for. Yep. Well, and I know we already alluded to it, DLC is where a lot of these companies are making their money, and that jumps us straight into Dog's Business Corner. So, Dog, we had a lot, ton of business news over the past uh, month, so why don't we... Take a couple minutes, kind of jump in, hit the juiciest parts. 
Okay, uh, juiciest parts. Uh, step one, EA lost a lawsuit regarding the original programmer of Madden Football. The programmer for the original versions for the Amiga and the Commodore sued EA for using his code in their console versions for the Genesis, Super Nintendo, etc. Well, a judge and jury decided to award the plaintiff $11 million in unpaid royalties for sales of Madden NFL football from 1990 through 1996. Yikes. And our... I assume EA is appealing this verdict? No. This was... EA had already appealed it. Okay. And they lost. Oh, so they are actually legitimately going to have to pay out that $11 million. They have to pay out the $11 million, Wow. Which is fine, because when I was digging through EA's uh, financial report for um, the first quarter of the 2014 fiscal year, I discovered that they actually keep a war chest of $30 million set aside each quarter just for lawsuits. That I, I wish I found that surprising. I don't. That does not surprise me. I think most big companies try to do that, and especially when you have such a massive legal overhead that a corporation like Electronic Arts does, that doesn't surprise me in the least. But, all right, so EA is paying $11 million to the original developer of Madden. Yeah, and he's going to uh, sue them again. <laughs> for the later games released after 1996. Wow. wow. What they do is they send in a forensic programmer to take a look at the code, and if they use even one line of his proprietary coding, then EA has to shell out royalties. Wow. Which, amazingly enough, EA actually signed a contract agreeing to do back in 1990, and they never did it. Wow. They broke the contract they signed with him because he was originally promised money from EA for his work. EA never paid him. They thought they'd pull a fast one and claim that the original Madden published by EA was made in six months by one programmer. That's how they tried to get around, you know, paying this guy royalties for so many years, but it didn't work. Now they're paying up. They're going to have to pay up more. Wow. Which is fine. And it only took yeah, them 24 years to get that. 23 years. That's that's kind of ridiculous, but yay, big well, business. He originally sued them back in about 2008. Oh, okay. Well, then that's not so bad. It's just that the legal system takes so long to move, and again, EA had appealed this. So that took extra time as well. All right. Lawsuits move very slowly in real world time. Hooray, lawyers! Yeah, the legal system is not law and order. Doesn't work like that. Right. Not at what, all. Does it work like Ally McBeal? Yes. Yes. What about Boston Legal? Exactly <laughs> like that. Boston Legal. Can we get some Boston Legal? Oh, I wish. Oh, that'd be awesome. I loved Boston. Legal. Oh, James Spader. I love oh, you. Anyways. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Uh, the rest of EA's quarter one report was pretty much nothing exciting. Um, EA is doing okay with money. They wish they were doing better. But as it is, most of their money is coming from mobile games that they've published in the last quarter. Has nothing to do with the Xbox 360. 
they're basically just laying low, waiting until Madden gets released, waiting for next generation consoles to hit. That's where they're going to be making their money. Yeah. So, for now, they're focusing on mobile development. They're ramping up their um, development for next generation consoles. And you're not going to see a payoff for about another year or two for all of these investments. So, next couple of quarters for EA will look a little dismal. But don't worry, everyone. Your favorite company will be A-OK. Tongue firmly in cheek. What else is going on in the money and business world? Alright, speaking of your favorite companies, Sega has recovered. Hooray! Yay! Last year, I one of the very first Business of Gaming articles I wrote was very doom and gloom regarding the future of Sega. Um, I announced back then that Sega was splitting off their game publishing and game development into one section focused on consoles, one section focused on digital. Well... The digital side of the company has been making a lot of money. That's why we're seeing all these Sega Platinum hits hitting the Xbox Live Arcade now. It's all part of that same initiative. Sega made a ton of money selling us Toe Jam and Earl. <laughs> Good for them. Their real money, though, came from selling pachinko machines in Japan. And that, mm -hmm. that doesn't surprise me either. Yeah, Sega is uh, shifting their focus to be more insular. They're focusing more and more on the Japanese gaming market, which isn't nearly as down as some analysts would make you think. So that's what Sega's focusing on for now. That's where they're going to be making their money, is the Japanese gaming market, and uh, re-releasing old Sega classics in a digital format. For the time being, that's their plan to get their money back. But they turned a pretty healthy profit. Digital sales were up 400% this quarter. So good for wow. Sega. Another Japanese company, Capcom. Not so good news. Yeah, we actually had a question in the mailbag that was very Capcom focused. And we wanted to give you some time to kind of explain to us Capcom as best as you can and what they are doing. Okay, um... Capcom is, much like Sega, deciding to focus more on the Japanese market. Capcom was a bigger company, though, so what they're doing is they're actually cutting off their Western developing firms. They laid off a lot of people from their offices in California. They're restructuring their business. We're going to see, for the time being, a lot less of Capcom outside of Japan. They're going to be focusing just on that Japanese gaming market. They're releasing a new version of the Mon Monster Hunter franchise. Which is That's huge like in Japan. Huge in Japan. That's their big breadwinner right now. Um, they have a version of it for uh, PlayStation 3 and the uh, Wii U in Japan. The Japanese 360 is going to be getting another version. So... They're banking on that being big for the next two financial quarters. Um, Capcom's mobile division is the only company I reported on that actually lost money in their mobile division. Capcom had no big mobile game releases. Uh, the only thing keeping that division afloat right now is Smurf Village. <laughs> wow. Smurf that, man. 
So, uh, good for Capcom, I guess, at least having one big hit game in the mobile app market, which they desperately need right now, um, because their overall financials do not look good. Capcom now is in the same position Sega was in last year. They have to take a long, hard look at themselves and decide what they want to be as a company moving forward. Lost Planet 3 is not going to be the hit to save no, I, I, no. I would agree with you there. And we're going to talk about August releases here in a minute. It's going to have some real yeah. stiff competition in August. Dead Rising 3 will not be the game to save them. I, I think that has a stronger chance than Lost Planet 3, though. I mean, it looked really impressive it, on the one. I, it, I think that's actually the problem, though, is that it's such a limited market that it can yeah, sell to. And there's only so much it can turn around, is it's only right. Xbox yeah, One. Yeah, that, that, that is a good That point. is the point. It will be a big hit in comparison, but as a launch title for the Xbox One, new consoles have really low install yep. bases because they're new and they sell out. And also, with Dead Rising 3, Microsoft is bankrolling this title for Capcom. That, that, that also makes sense. Microsoft has, Microsoft has a very large stake in this game. And so, when it sells, Capcom's going to get a lot less of the profit. It's still going to be nice for them. It's still going to be helpful. And they're not going to say no. It's going to be great. It's just not a company-saving hit like the original Monster Hunter was for them. Right. They need something else. And not reported in my article on TA is that Capcom is actually doubling down on mobile game development. They announced 15 games that are coming out for mobile systems in Japan, including Breath of Fire 6 and... Um, a new Capcom versus fighting game, which will have 500 characters in it. What? Wow. From the entire catalog of Capcom franchises, including the plane from 1942. So, oh, man. That's... <laughs> what? Yeah. So, for now, Capcom's actually kind of leaving console development temporarily until the next generation is established. And focusing on mobile game development within Japan, we may see international ports of these games, we may not. But for now, that's what Capcom is up to, and I, I wish them the best of luck. They are one of my favorite companies, and I hope they can recover and pull a Sega and have nothing but good news in one year's time. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, Capcom is kind of one of those legacy developer publishers that have been around for a long, long time. So that's um, that's some scary stuff. Hopefully, they can pull out of it. Uh, any other business details uh, going on? Uh, yeah, I can temporarily talk about Take-Two, who, you know, the parent company for Rockstar, Paraxis, um, Irrational Games... Take-Two is responsible for a lot of the... Uh, Gearbox is under Take-Two's umbrella. So, Bioshock Infinite, big seller for them. That was the only retail release they had in the past quarter. And that moved, what, over 4 million, right? I think that was the... It moved over 4 million. Yeah, that's 
And was that I, I know I re- tried to find out and I couldn't find the answer. Was that just US or was that worldwide? That was worldwide. That's okay. total. Yeah. Oh man, if it released only four million in the United States, you would hear yeah. about it because that would be huge numbers. Yeah. But speaking of huge numbers, Take Two is banking on Grand Theft Auto Five. Smart to be a big hit. That that's I think that's the <laughs> safest bet. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Grand Theft Auto Four this last quarter broke twenty five million in sales. Yeah. Wow. So not just shipped units, actual. I thought it was shipped purchase. until I went back and I looked closer to financials. I had I have to correct myself. Wow. It's not it's not shipped. That's sales. And, and GTA Four came out in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. When did that come out? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll look it up real quick. But two thousand nine. If only there was some website we could find. Oh, gee. Which listed dates like this for games? I'm looking it up right now. I have no idea what you're implying, dog. None no, at yes. all. All right, no. Grand Theft Auto Four. April, April two thousand eight. So for you know five years. Mm-hmm. Five years. What I mean. Well, <laughs> that's that's pretty good. <laughs> so, so basically, it sold five million copies each year. Okay, that's not true. It actually sold eleven million copies within the span of about, I think, it was like two months. When that's it was released. that's mind-boggling. But again, makes sense. It's you know, G- Grand Theft Auto is one of those kind of legacies that it's not an every year game that everyone buys that your casual gamer buys, but whenever there's a grand theft auto, that's one of those casual appeal games that everyone will buy. Well, and it also, it's a big event when it gets released, right? It also has that kind of, uh, it hits you twice, right? It's got all the people who buy it day one. And then the people who know there's a bunch of DLC. So they wait to buy the game of the year edition. So they, the sales are always coming. And, and the fact that it's managed to have that kind of saying power, even if it's sold 11 million in two months, it's another 14 million copies over the remaining yeah. time that's oh yeah that's crazy yeah, yeah. Oh, oh gearbox would kill for that amount of sales because the only thing that turned gearbox a profit this last quarter was borderlands 2 dlc and again that's not surprising dlc i mean when you look at it dlc pretty much works with existing systems existing artwork and pretty much they just need to work with existing assets and then bring yeah. in, you know, obviously new voice work sometimes and, and yeah. writing and things like that. But it's significantly cheaper the, to manufacture than the base game. The overhead is so yeah. low and the profit margins are so big that they made a couple million dollars off of Borderlands 2 DLC yeah. alone. Well, excellent. So we had some good, we had some bad, and we had some ugly in Dog's Business Quarter this month. So let's, uh, we have a couple more quick news things to go through before we get to the Achievement Challenge. Uh, first one, uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, you might have already downloaded the Games with Gold. Uh, Games with Gold for August. Uh, starting on August 1st through the 15th, you can get Crackdown for free, which is a game I did not have. Um, so I went ahead and downloaded that. And then from August, uh, I think, 16th through the 31st, you can get Dead Rising 2 and Dead Rising 2 Case Zero for free if you are a gold member. So I didn't have any of those games, so I'm kind of excited to at least download them. I'll probably give Crackdown a look. Um, Dead Rising 2, I, I'm less excited about. I, I played Dead Rising 1, wasn't a huge fan. Uh, how about you two? Are you? Uh, I know, Dog, you're off of gold for the moment. Is that still true? Yes, I'm still off of gold. I looked at the games of gold to see if I should re-up this month. And um, 
I've played Crackdown. If you haven't played it, download it, play it. Crackdown is fun. Dead Rising 2, I already own. Dead Rising 2 Case Zero, I've already played. And if you only play one Dead Rising 2 game, make it Case Zero. It's a really fun, condensed story. It takes you about, like, maybe two hours to complete the game. So if you want an easy arcade completion, download it, play it. I'll definitely do that then, because uh, I may not wade into Dead Rising 2, but if it's just a short taste, I'll definitely check that out. Uh, how about you, Michelle? Are either of those games in your massive backlog? Um, well, no, actually, both of them have been played already, okay. so they're not backlogged. Um, Crackdown I've played to completion, and Crackdown there is a DLC. Um, I think it, there's a free DLC for it. I should probably actually look to confirm, but there is DLC content for it, so be aware of that uh, when you're going to download the game. Uh, but I can't rec- recommend Crackdown highly enough. It was just so much fun. Find a partner, play it with them. It's, it's not a co-op game in... Like, it's open world, sort of like a Red Dead Redemption. So you and your partner can be floating around in different places. It doesn't matter. But the game is still somehow so much fun without actually needing to communicate with someone else. Find a buddy, set up a TA session, whatever you have to do, and and just enjoy. The game is just ridiculous amounts of fun. It's one of those where you just shut off your brain and just have a good time. The only thing going in, as we've said multiple times over this podcast... The typical listener of the podcast is not a typical gamer, so stuff like completion is going to matter to you. You do have to collect these orbs throughout the game. You will start hearing the orb noise in your sleep as you're playing it, if you're playing it for completion. So if that's something for you, find a guide first and be prepared for that, because you'll wind up having 499 out of 500 agility orbs and just driving yourself crazy driving into every nook and cranny trying to find the last one. Um, And also, uh, just to go back one second, there is one DLC that's a $5 DLC pack. So if you're, if you, again, if you're concerned with that, you will have a buy-in for that extra bit, but it's it's well worth it. The whole crackdown package for $5, very, very much worth it. Uh, Dead Rising, I'm a Dead Rising fan. I, I enjoy the games. Um, if you didn't like Dead Rising 1, you're really not going to feel too much differently after Dead Rising 2. But, uh, again, it's another good, solid game that uh, for this kind of promotion they're doing, it's a really nice offering, and you should definitely take advantage of those, even if you download them and you know, get them in your history, but don't put them on your console right away. There's no reason not to if you're not a gold subscriber. Cool. Oh, and one quick thing about Games of Gold. I, was on the, I wasn't on the last podcast. I wasn't able to talk about the fence grid. But I've got some numbers for you about how well the fence grid did as a Games of Gold title. Ooh, do tell. All right. When the fence grid was free, over 800 thousand people downloaded it for the first time wow yeah i know i downloaded it. i haven't played it yet but uh, i definitely have it wow yeah, i'm a huge fan of defense grid best tower defense game on the 360 and when i saw those numbers which are just released just a few hours ago i was very happy for hidden path over that success cool. all right uh speaking of well, I don't know if there's a good transition, a good segue into this. This was kind of the shocking news of this past week in that Warner Brothers revealed the multiplayer component for Batman Arkham Origins. So I know we, we talked quite a bit about Arkham City at the top of the show. And basically this this multiplayer mode, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just going to start off by saying it's interesting. But it's going to be three versus three 
is a gang war between the Joker's cronies and Bane's cronies. So you'll have three people on each side playing those those different gangs. But then you'll also have Batman and Robin trying to take out both sides while those sides are trying to take out each other. So it's kind of this weird three-way battle. Um, we have a video on the site. It looks really interesting, but I don't know if it's going to be a selling point for a game that has been traditionally very first-person oriented. Very, uh, well, not first-person oriented, but very uh, single-player oriented. And I think the best case scenario here is if it turns out to be something like Mass Effect 3's multiplayer, where that multiplayer was way better than it had any right to be. And I felt like it was really nicely incorporated into the single-player mode. But this here, it, it looks interesting. I'm curious. I'd like to try it. I'm not going to be an early adopter into Arkham Origins, though. Uh, what do you two think about this development? Well, uh, remember when they added multiplayer to Assassin's Creed? Yeah, again, that was another one that was kind of interesting that I played a little bit but didn't really love. Yeah, I think this will be uh, along those lines. I think it will be really interesting. I really like the take on it, the 3 verse 3 verse 2. It's uh, kind of like the uh, the old Splinter Cell multiplayer setup of uh, the spies versus mercs, I guess. Because from the trailer, it looked like Batman and Robin will be all focused on using stealth, like if you're in a predator mode Yeah. from one of the Arkham games. So that looks really cool. I... It, at least if they're doing multiplayer, they're doing something different with it. Yeah, I agree. That that's the most inspired thing is that they they're doing something different. They're not just doing what you would expect. Yeah, so I, I applaud them for that, but we'll we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, Michelle, what do you think here? I think the addition of multiplayer in games like this is always kind of a tricky business and we just don't get the for the average gamer again, it doesn't really bother them, it's just an extra thing. You know, they'll just never jump into multiplayer if that's not the thing uh, they want to do. On TA, it becomes how many achievements are attached. Is it going to be a grind? Am I going to uh, want to do that? Um, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Um, I wasn't inclined to do the challenges in Batman, so I wouldn't be inclined to do the multiplayer in this one. It, it doesn't really make a difference to me. I think if they do something fun with it and it's an extra thing that people enjoy, that's great. Um, but, you know, you can't encourage or discourage people's buying habits and i would say if you like batman try to keep an open mind and give this one a chance but if the existence of multiplayer is a turnoff for you and that's what it is there's still a lot we don't know about this game because it's a whole different development crew so i think we have bigger concerns than the addition of multiplayer insofar as how the game is actually gonna be when it's a final product yeah i i think you said it really well that there's gonna be there's so many more variables than just the multiplayer like you said new development studio uh, it's it's interesting. I think it's an interesting development, but I know I try not to read the comments too terribly much, but I know some of our community was like, yep, cancel my pre-order, don't want it now. And I yeah, I understand that in a way, but also I'm like, this is probably going to be a pretty cool game. And if you're going to cancel it because right. they added a feature that you might not want to play, and I understand some people are very defensive of their completion percentage, but I was like, I, I just don't know about that. So... Well, I think it, it actually highlights it's kind of a tough place for developers because this does sound like something really interesting. But if they stick this in a new IP, 
they run all the risks that come with putting it in a new IP. Yeah. Um, stick it in with an established IP, that's great, but you're going to disenfranchise some people. They're just not going to want to be a part of it. So um, hopefully it works out and it's something that's cool and can kind of be spun into its own thing or like an Assassin's Creed, it's successful and it stays within the game. Um, but you just, again, my hope is that people still give the game itself a chance, even if you have to play it on an alternate tag, if that's just how things roll for you, um, you know, wait and see what your friends think and give it a shot. But if it's really not for you, that's, it's unfortunate that that's the sort of, that's the way it is, but there, there's really nothing that can be done about that. You have to buy what pleases you. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people will probably be concerned with the, the achievements and if there are achievements tied to the multiplayer uh, that's one of the things that I'm just checking. The, the game's going to be released on October 25th. Um, I don't have the release calendar right in front of me, but I would bank that I'll probably be featuring Arkham Origins uh, in the Achievement Preview Spotlight. So if you're one of those people who waits until the last minute to, to buy games or just goes and buys them on launch day and doesn't pre-order, uh, I'll definitely keep an eye on that for you um, in the Achievement Preview Spotlight to see if how arduous those multiplayer achievements could be if they do exist. So speaking of uh, other editorial features, we already have the Achievement Preview Spotlight. Uh, I know Dog does his business of gaming pieces, which we already talked about. But uh, in the span between the last podcast and this podcast, we've debuted two new editorial features on the site. So we have Easter Eggs, which are really sweet games that you might have missed. So just like how developers will hide Easter Eggs in games that only some people will find and really enjoy, these are games that might have been kind of hidden in the market that not a lot of people might have discovered right away. Uh, so we featured two of them thus far. We featured uh, The Saboteur was our very first one, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I think I picked that up for $20 a couple years ago and really just enjoyed it. And then Singularity, which I got for $5 a couple of years ago and is absolutely incredible. So we'll be featuring Easter eggs uh, every other week uh, from now. I think we've got them planned out until January now. They've just been coming out of the woodwork. So we have a nice list of Easter eggs. So be looking forward to those uh, every other Sunday. And then we also have every, or I'm sorry, every other Saturday, we will be doing Easter eggs. And then every Sunday, we are going to be doing the TA Top 5. So we've had three of them published as of the time of this recording. We've had um, the Top 5 Vacation Destinations from Video Games, which I, I wrote and caught some significant flack for, but still enjoyed nonetheless. Uh, we also had Top 5 Companions. And then Dog, just this past week, uh, did Top 5 Weapons, which included his wife's beloved Lancer. So... Be expecting those TA Top 5s to be coming weekly on Sundays. And we'll also have another feature that's going to be debuting very, very soon uh, that I think a lot of you will enjoy, and that's just a, a tease for the future. Uh, another thing, and I'm going to turn this over to Dog, is we're going to be launching... Just just one one last comment. I'm sorry about the editorial features. Um, just for people to keep in mind. Um, with the feature that launched today, with um, Dog's piece on weapons, a lot of folks went in there and had great suggestions for weapons that weren't included, because sometimes the Top 5 isn't really as encompassing as we'd like it to be go ahead and please use the comments get in there and suggest these things if we see something like a top five and there's another top five worth of material we'll get going on that we'll make stuff like that happen all right easter eggs even though we have uh articles planned through january go in there and keep suggesting what you'd like to see because in the end we're writing for your enjoyment all right well, obviously we enjoy doing it too we enjoy the writing but we want you to read and enjoy and comment so please get in there and keep Keep saying what you have to say. I know Jay said he caught a little flack for his first article, and that's okay. We're not expecting perfection from our point of view. We expect commentary and criticism. 
but get in there and do that because we try to be responsive to what you're putting out there. So the more that you can give us, uh, the better we can suit what you actually want to see during these weekly features or biweekly features on the weekends. And each of these kind of ends with the, the question to the community. So these are meant to be discussion pieces. You know, our top fives are not unassailable end all be alls. They're, they're just the opinions we have. So no one's opinion is 100% right or 100% wrong all the time, um, except for, you know, Rich. His opinions are 100% right all the time. And I can only say that because he's not with us today. Uh, so now that we're kind of talked about that, let's move on to uh, Dog's new hub. Dog, why don't you take it away and tell us about your other role and what we can be expecting. All right. So by the time you are listening to this, a new feature will have been rolled out on the website, which is the debut of our Extra Life 2013 Charity Events Hub a one-stop page for everything related to Extra Life 2013. Um, Extra Life 2013 is the gaming marathon that TA is supporting this year. On November 2nd, from 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, until whenever you decide to drop and you just can't play anymore. But hopefully you'll be able to make it until 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, on Sunday, a full 25 hours of gaming, all to benefit the Children's Miracle Network. Um, Children's Miracle Network provides, you know, funding and assistance to families that have children that require long-term care, um, horrible accidents, burn victims, that sort of thing. Children's Miracle Network helps ease the burden on these families and the children. Uh, it's an international organization, so we have people supporting hospitals in England, supporting hospitals in the Netherlands, um, Australia, um, Canada, United States. It's worldwide, and I'm very happy to say that we have people in the TA community from across the globe that are supporting us this year. And so far, as a group, we have raised over $1,800, and it's only August. The event doesn't happen until November. We are on in a fantastic pace to hit our goal of 5000 for this event. So I want to thank everyone that's been supporting us so far, and I hope that with the launch of this new hub, I hope more of you will sign up, more of you will take part, help raise some money, help raise awareness, and hopefully we can blow right past that $5,000 goal that I established for us at, what was it? I think I established this goal just back in May, and we're already almost halfway there. That's how good the community has been in responding to this. So, thanks everyone. And again, if you can't take part in the actual event, and you don't want to raise money, that's okay. We're going to have plenty of links that can, you can use. Send it across your social media networks. Raise awareness. Get other people interested. Become our hype man. Help sell TA to people that you know. Help us raise money just by raising awareness. Right now, Team True Achievements is in the top 10 for teams that have raised money for Extra Life 2013. So we're doing pretty good. 
we could be doing better. Raise awareness, get us out there. Last thing we're going to be doing is a lot of members of Team True Achievements will be streaming their marathons over Twitch TV this year. Uh, we will be having stream links set up for everyone that will be streaming live. I know um, two people so far plan to stream besides myself. One of them will probably be streaming Batman Arkham Origins. So if you want to see what that game looks like, you can wait, check out the stream during Extra Life 2013. Um, the other guy isn't sure what he's going to be streaming yet. So if you have any suggestions, leave them in the comments. Let us or know. Can, can I make a suggestion? How much do we like this person? Well, see, that's what I'm about to get to. Those two guys can stream good games and games that you actually want to see. Because I, I would say, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. <laughs> have already released a trailer for what I will be streaming for Extra Life. I will be playing Dead or Alive Extreme 2 uh... for 25 hours from November 2nd to November 3rd. It will be streamed live over Twitch TV. And, um, yeah, if you haven't seen Dead or Alive Extreme 2, you should really um, go to YouTube, plug that in, make sure you're not at work when you're looking at the trailer. Oh, God. So, I, so, feel, I feel dirty. I just feel bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... That's what we're doing for Extra Life 2013 this year. It's going to be a big hit. It's already been a success. Um, I want the community to get more involved. We've got 33 people on Team TA right now. We can have a lot more than that. All right. Excellent. So uh, out of the charity of your heart, we're going to move into our Achievement Challenge segment where I asked the charitable spirit, of our community to find me an achievement to challenge me with. And I got achievements sent to me from all over the spectrum. No, I am not going to try and do seriously 3.0 in a month. Sorry, not going to happen. I just, I won't do that. Uh, unfortunately, I also got some achievements from games that I no longer have. Uh, but I did manage to pick out one that I thought would be a really uh, interesting challenge. Uh, I got the challenge from uh, user MIL5Y. I don't know if that's pronounced Milfy or Milfivy. I have no idea. But um, this user challenged me to get the Leave It Where It Lay achievement in Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary. And that achievement's description is complete the level two betrayals on legendary difficulty without picking up a new weapon. So when you start this level, you have the plasma pistol and the shotgun. And this is the level that starts where the um, monitor, or not the monitor, Guilty Spark. I can't remember its name. The little floaty eyeball dude, whose name I can't remember because he... Guilty Spark. Guilty Spark. Thank you. Wants you to basically activate Halo and Cortana stops you, and then you have to take down uh, the Sentinels and then fight your way through, like, just a ridiculous... It's a ridiculously long level. And you're taking on the Covenant, you're taking on Flood, you uh, have to pilot a Banshee a couple of times, um, you have to take down Wraiths. It's, it's a ridiculous long level. So... The top solution for this achievement, which I, I did consult before I started, was actually written by the guy, MIL5Y, who submitted the challenge to me. It's got a really good uh, rating. It's got 25 positive votes and only two negative votes. So I definitely looked at it before I took it on. 
So again, you basically have to use the plasma pistol and the shotgun. And the best advice here was to turn on the bandana skull, which gives you unlimited ammo. That I don't know how you could do this achievement without turning on that skull. Because the, the actual tactic for getting the achievement that I used uh, was to just chuck grenades whenever anything was far away from you and try and blow things up from far away. And when things got close, you switch over to the shotgun. Now, the real challenge came when you'd have to take out Banshees and were on foot. And that's really tough to do. And you basically just have to overcharge the plasma pistol and take out those Banshees one by one by hand. And there's, I'm trying to think, there's at least three or four Banshees you absolutely have to destroy before you can actually get through. So this achievement actually took me, took me a while to get. And it wasn't that I kept restarting. It's that you would die, you'd go back to your checkpoint, you'd have to keep on trying. So I think part and parcel, it took me like two and a half to three hours to get this achievement. And the really just, the nerve-shocking thing was it doesn't pop until after the cutscene at the end of the level. So I was just sitting there like, oh god, I don't want to have to do this all over again. Please don't make me do this all over again. And fortunately, it, it did pop. So that was a really great challenge. Um, that achievement has a base score of 25, and it has a TA ratio of 2.01, making it worth 50 TA points or TA scores. So uh, that was a really good challenge. I, I enjoyed taking it on. Um, there were a couple other challenges that came in that I may save for the next time I'm up to the plate. But if you have, uh, do either of you two have questions about this this challenge? Um, I did this um, some time ago, but I did it in co-op. So the thinking is. One person runs around and plays normal, and the other one just kind of hangs back. So I'm pretty sure that's how we accomplished it. So I didn't try it on my own, which is a whole different challenge. So uh, good for you to get it done that way, because I'm sure I wouldn't have been able to do it. But I, we didn't use the skulls, so that was our own way of oh, okay. uh, keeping the challenge at a good level. Yeah, because if you turn those skulls off, I mean, there are shotguns... Uh, around but the thing is i feel like you would run out of ammo for your plasma pistol so fast right like i don't know how you could really do it without picking up a new weapon unless you had that skull on uh it, it just kind of boggles me i'm kind of curious to try but i really don't want to put myself through it <laughs> uh dog are you familiar with that challenge or uh, halo anniversary at all uh no the first halo i really played was halo 3 so I know okay. next to nothing about the first Halo. Yeah, Two Betrayals is like a pretty. Yeah. I mean, it's a super huge level. It's like I, long, I think gamers very, have. Very long. Yeah, gamers have a twitch about beating the library, which is another just long, ridiculous level. But this level, it, it did have a good degree of variety to it. I mean, it wasn't just the same setting. You had to fight uh, through corridors and like closed-in rooms. Then you had to fight in huge canyons and wide-open spaces. So. It did have a really good degree of variety to it. It's it's a very interesting level as far as design goes. But that challenge, yeah, it, it's a good that, that's like the heart of what I think a good challenge should be is that it challenges you to play the game a way in which you would not normally play it to, but still a way that is not ridiculous. So really good challenge. Thank you for sending that in. Um, as always, you can leave challenges for us in the comments on the podcast thread. Or you can send them to me, OSU Blue Jacket, via PM uh, at any time. Uh, so feel free to look over any of our cards. Uh, again, I'm OSU Blue Jacket. We also have Matrarch, Dog of Thunder, and you can even challenge True Achievement. Uh, I'll be collecting all of those challenges. So please don't hesitate to send those in. 
any day, any time. I just hold them in my inbox, and when we need challenges, I look through them all again. Uh, speaking of inboxes, we open up the mailbag again. So we have two questions here that uh, didn't kind of fit into our other. We, we already addressed quite a few questions as we kind of went through the rundown here. But we had, uh, we'll start off with a question from KJTCDACD, who asked a really good question. It's not our question of the month, but it was a really good question. Uh, what do you think of Microsoft's constant changes to what the Xbox One will slash will not do slash contain slash allow players access to? Is Microsoft really listening to their fan base, making changes that will benefit their consumers, or are they just jockeying for press to look like they're listening while they try to regain ground lost following E3? Um, my answer to that question is yes. All of the above. They're doing it all. That, that's kind of my, my whole take on it. Um, Dog, what do you think about that question? Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> How can I answer this and still be allowed to take part in an Xbox 360 website? Um, no. Um, honestly, Microsoft's looking at their bottom line. That's what every company should be doing. So I don't, I don't find fault in them for making adjust, adjustments because the pre-order numbers for the Xbox One were apparently bad enough to make them backtrack and change all their policies. So, I don't... It, there, there's nothing wrong with that. They're a company. They're in the business to make money. They're backtracking on the indie policies because they were getting hammered by indie developers. And as I mentioned earlier... Xbox Live Arcade has been losing ground the last few years, so this is their way to make an adjustment, see what's going to work, because what they were doing earlier simply was not working. They've adjusted. Hopefully this new policies that they have will work for them, and um, yeah, that, that's just why they're doing it. They, they like money. They want to make money. They're a company. Yeah, I you mean I... nothing to them unless you're giving them money. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little, just slightly less cynical, but I agree. They're doing whatever they can to make this appealing to gamers. So, yes, they are listening to feedback. Yes, they are listening to what gamers want. And they're, I think they're doing whatever they can within reason to make that happen. Uh, Michelle, well, what do you think? Well, I think the answer to the question is in the question, right? In jockeying for press to look like they're listening while they try to regain, regain lost ground following E3, they are listening to their fan base. It's what they have to do. Um the fans, you know, crapped all over what they had released, um, for better or for worse. And they've made the adjustments to make sure that they can continue to fund going forward. Because without making those adjustments, the Xbox One would have been dead in the water. That's it. Um, and what we've lost, really, after all this is a bunch of stuff that was sort of in the ether anyway. We didn't know all the details. So we don't really know what we didn't get and we but we know what these adjustments are now we're beginning to get more concrete details they're doing what they have to do to make sure the console sells and there's nothing wrong with that yep totally agree um and that brings us to our question of the month uh, our question of the month comes from lesser human who asks what in your opinion is the single most important aspect of a game that has the power to make an otherwise okay game good an otherwise good game great and an otherwise great game outstanding. And why do you think this is that most important aspect? So um, I'll give you two a minute to kind of think of this while I, I answer on behalf of myself. Uh, to me, it's, it's a captivating story. Um, 
I've played games where they have amazing game mechanics, but not a really great story. And they're fun, but games that have a really great story uh, are elevated in my mind. I think of something like uh, the original Borderlands. Didn't It had a story, but it wasn't really much of a story. That game was built around having fun with your friends. Whereas Borderlands 2 took all of that and added a layer of better story to it, better character development. And to me, that elevated it to another level. Um, whereas a game like, uh, I know we already discussed it, Bioshock Infinite, the, the Clash in the Clouds DLC is meant to show how fun the gameplay actually is. And it really is fun. It's incredible. But the story in that game is what elevated it to a, a really great, awesome Pantheon-level game. So that that's my answer, is a really good, engaging story is what makes a game uh, elevated a little bit more. Um, Michelle, what do you think? What's your answer here? Um, I, I guess I kind of have a bit of a two-part answer. Uh, for, for me, the thing I thought of right away was co-op. Great co-op experience will take a meh game and make it awesome. I think a game like Crackdown is actually a pretty good example for me personally. I, I don't know that I would have enjoyed it single-player at all, but in co-op I just adored it. Love the game. Um, but that doesn't work for a game like Batman, right, which is a single-player experience. And I think in terms of a single-player experience for me, it's sort of related to Jay's answer, but it's a compelling lead character. Um, if you're going to take the time to sit through and, and put 8 to 12 hours into a campaign, you have to have some attachment or belief in what the guy you're playing as is doing. So, um, you know, a game like Red Dead Redemption, great game, a whole other level because of the kind of character John Marston yeah. was. And that's also part of how he was written and how he interacted with his environment. But um, definitely a compelling lead will take the game from okay to really fantastic. And I think that's you know part of why I'm not so big on the uh, Western RPGs where it's kind of create a character because I can't, you know, I, I don't get that same sort of association with the person I'm playing as. Yeah. Uh, how about you, dog? What, what takes it and elevates it? I like how this question, you ask it to three people and you're going to get three different answers. I think that says an awful lot about what we all expect out of games. Yep, that's, that's why it's question, question of the month. Because um, yeah. what I want is I don't care about the story. I, I don't care if a game's co-op or single player. I just want the game to be fun. I want some rock-solid game mechanics. And I just want the actual gameplay to be enjoyable. Um... The Saboteur is my favorite example of this. The story is ridiculous, but the way it plays and the way all these different mechanics come together, it, it, it's a janky game, but it's fun. That takes a game that could have been really bad and makes it pretty good. I mean, that's all it takes for me, is just the actual gameplay. Um, Alan Wake great example really good story really good atmosphere but it's the way it all comes together in the gameplay that really sold me on it i got sold on that game when you're defending the stage against all the little nightmare demons you've got rock music blaring in the background you're trying to protect your little sidekick buddy you're scrambling to find ammo to cause light and get shotgun shells and just hordes of enemies coming at you. It was a brilliant moment when everything about the game came together and, and, and just that one sequence 
And that's what I like in games. And that can raise an otherwise okay game to a higher level. Just that unison of uh, good gameplay mechanics as the base and everything else on top of that. But gameplay mechanics have to come first. You, you know, Dog, it's really interesting that you use that example, because Alan Wake is a favorite example of mine usually in a question like this, but for completely the opposite reason. I don't think the gameplay in Alan Wake is all that great, but I love the character and I love the environments. So I would say it for the other reason. Like, Alan Wake is a game that got elevated for me, because I really liked Alan Wake and, and just the world and the darkness of it, but playing the game at times was just frustrating for me, because I didn't feel like it always handled so well. So this is a great question, because you can see how we're all coming from totally different angles. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said, Michelle, that I, I I loved Alan Wake, too, and I loved it for its story and its character development. That's why I loved it, and I felt that the gameplay mechanics, you know, they were okay, they just weren't great. So I think it's really interesting. We all all three of us like this game for kind of three different reasons, so awesome so question. So if you haven't played it, go play it. Yeah, you have, if you haven't played <laughs> Alan Wake, go play it. Just, just, we're almost done with this podcast. As soon as we are done... Go buy Alan Wake and play it. It's really fun. And it's not often that we're all in unison about having actually played a game and that, and actually having enjoyed that game. So yeah. this is a kind of a big moment for us. Yay. Oh, <laughs> when when Jay and I actually agree on a game, you, you know it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of games that we can all agree on is good. Uh, for being our question of the month, Lesser Human has won the fabulous prize of a copy of Matt Hazard, Bloodbath and Beyond. So uh, I just sent him his PM with the code for that game. Congratulations. Yay. Um, I think it might be slightly better than last month's prize of Duke Nukem Forever. So um, just want to let you know, the prizes, they come and they go. But we do have prizes. Sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they're less than awesome. But they are prizes. So, and sometimes they're Duke Nukem Forever. Sometimes they're Duke Nukem Forever. Very <laughs> good. Um, a funny story. So our, our last prize winner, uh, he actually lives up in Canada. Uh, I mailed him his copy of Duke Nukem Forever a couple of weeks ago. It cost me more to mail it to him in Canada than it did for me to actually acquire that game, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> um, so speaking of games, uh, we're, in, we're in August. And August is when the dog days of summer, no offense, dog, are ending Not and we good. see actual games that retail games that we want to play on the horizon. So in addition to having the summer of arcade uh, coming out this month, which we already talked about in the last podcast, we also have coming Disney infinity, uh, the Bureau XCOM declassified splinter cell blacklist saints row four killer is dead lost planet three Madden NFL 25 Plus, we are getting uh, the Brigmore Witches DLC for Dishonored that is coming out this month. So those are kind of the the big heavy hitters here. Uh, I'm in kind of a weird position. Usually I ask what you guys plan on getting, if anything, from this list. I know, Dog, you're going to wait five years. Um, but August is actually my birthday month. My birthday is at the end of August, so I try not to buy games in August and just tell people, here's the games I want. So um, out of this list, uh, the Bureau XCOM Declassified is the one that I'm kind of like, yep, that's an August game that I would like. But the game I really want isn't coming until the first week of September, and, and that's Diablo 3. So I know that's coming in September. It'll probably be out by the time we record our September podcast. But those are kind of the two that are on this list. 
Uh, Michelle, anything jumping out as a, a must-buy for you here? Um, unfortunately, no. You know, you, if you asked me this question three or four years ago, Killer is Dead is totally something I would have jumped right on and purchased, but I just know I won't play it right away. Um, I'm intrigued by Saints Row 4, but I've not played Saints Row 1 through 3, so I'm not going to go jump in at number 4. Uh, though I'm interested to see what happens out that's with the new publisher and, and how they handle all that and how the series progresses because i know one and two did well but three just seemed to explode like everyone was suddenly really into saints row three so uh, or the third uh, i think would to be correct about it so we'll see how saints row four does um but i don't see myself uh, picking up anything this month cool dog how about you what are you going to be picking up in five years um yeah maybe sooner than that i actually had a couple people send me uh, messages about uh, the bureau xcom declassified because um XCOM Enemy Unknown was my Extra Life 2012 marathon game. And so people want to know what I thought of this one and if I'd be picking it up. Um, th this game I really just have to see in action before I make a decision. It looks so different and I like the setting. But I'm thinking that instead I'm just going to play Ellie more this month and pretend I'm solving cases about aliens. <laughs> I, I think I might just do that instead. Like yeah. I just picked up Saints Row the Third just a few weeks ago. That's so. not five years old. You broke your rule. Well, I got it really cheap on sale. Okay, so yeah, I couldn't I, resist. I, I feel like um, I remember reading an article about XCOM Declassified. I think it was just originally called XCOM. Yeah. Um, this was years ago. I think it was an official Xbox magazine. And a lot of the description was, it's going to be kind of like Mass Effect. And the videos I've been seeing kind of show, you know, it's going to be third-person tactical squad shooter um, with upgrade systems and things like that. So to me, that that's speaking my language. So I think that's probably going to be, uh, when people ask me what I want for my birthday, I'm probably going to be like, yeah, someone needs to pick me up a copy of that um, for my birthday. Yeah, it could be really good. It could also be a disappointment. It could be. I mean, it comes out of... It 2K. could go either way. I would not be surprised. It comes out of way. 2K Marin, who made Bioshock 2, which is probably one of the most polarizing games that, that gets discussed. So, I, I mean, I'm I haven't pre-ordered it, mainly because, like I said, birthday month. But uh, I'll definitely be reading the reviews with interest. So that kind of brings us uh, to the end of our August podcast. Uh, we'll put a tiny little bow on this. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to everyone who submitted a mailbag question. Um, we couldn't get to all of them, but we did get to quite a few, so thank you. Uh, we'll be opening the mailbag from time to time uh, as time allows. Uh, as we get heavier into fall release season, we will obviously have more things to talk about between Xbox One, Xbox 360, and games. So we're going to have a lot more to talk about as we get closer to release date, but we will try to bring back um, ways for you to send in more feedback and questions for us because obviously we want to keep the community involved in the podcast. Also, thank you to Dave K and The Kinetic for providing our music for the podcast. As always, if you want to connect with us outside of the site proper, uh, you can join our Facebook page. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at True Achievement, but don't look for us on MySpace. We are not on MySpace, so don't look for us there. I don't know. MySpace is coming back. You're a dirty, filthy liar. How dare you? No, really, it is. Justin Timberlake invested, like, $20 million in it or something. Yeah, I heard that too. They've got ads for it on yeah, TV. I don't, I still don't care. Still don't care. Okay. Um, so on that note, 
Uh, on behalf of Dog of Thunder and Matriarch, I am OSU Blue Jacket, otherwise known as Jay. Thank you for listening, and be sure to keep your eyes and ears open for us in September.